I'm Matt Booker. And I'm Dave Laird. And welcome to a special year in review bonus episode of The Great Concavity. Well, Happy New Year to you, Matt. Happy New Year, Dave. Welcome to 2016. Hope you had a good holiday and everything. I did. I had a very relaxing holiday. Nice. Me too. That's awesome. So for our listeners, welcome to this kind of um, episode that's going to be a bit of a one-off from our usual discussion of David Foster Wallace. We thought what we'd do is kind of talk about the year 2015 in review and talk about some books and films and music and maybe a few other things that really stood out to us this year. Uh, And as we are a sort of a, a cultural literary podcast, it's a bit of a, I guess it's a bit of a, I don't know, detour, hey Matt, but still not totally uh, irrelevant to our usual topic. It's We're trying something new. We're on our new path here. We're going to try just to do a recap of the year. We'll see how it goes, Dave. <laughs> nice. Hopefully what this will do as well, I think, is uh, give you listeners a bit of a feel for some of our other sensibilities and interests outside of Wallace and literature. Uh, and also, too, it's been it's been a while, Matt, since you and I have just had a, a chance to kind of catch up as we've had guests for the last few episodes. So get a chance to banter a little bit as well. Uh, so far, we, we just want to thank everyone who's listened to the show and for all of our guests who've been on, Robin and Corey and Tim. It's been a great start to the podcast, and uh, we look forward to a lot more good things in 2016. So, Matt, you want to talk about some books? What was good for you in 2015? What'd you read that stood out? Well, Dave, I used to do a wrap-up on my blogs, and let me talk about that for a little bit, because I've been all over the place in how I track what I read, and I've tried using Goodreads, and I've tried just keeping a list on my computer and then writing something at the end of the year, and about uh, at the end of 2014, I was kind of jaded by this, and (laughs) I, I will tell you why, is that I came up with a list of really sincerely what I loved and what I liked. And whenever I posted that list of like my 10 best, there was some comments about my link that I posted on Twitter at the time. And I I felt like people were giving me a hard time for not having enough equality on my list. And I was very self-conscious of that then from Hmm. then on out where you know, I wasn't really paying much attention to it. Unfortunately, I try to read, you know, a wide swath of books by all types Mm. of people, all types of authors, but it was very unexpected to me to get that kind of feedback. And it, Mm. it made me feel like I don't really want anyone policing my favorites and and telling me what to like and what I don't like. So that said, I, like I said, I read a lot of books by women, by people of color, and mm-hmm. I don't make apologies for what I like. I like what I like, and I try <laughs> to be fair about the types of authors that I read. Yeah. Um, and I, cool. I also write you know, a fair number of book reviews where I don't get to pick the book, and mm. I am assigned a book. Right. And that's good for me in that if you discover a writer that way or a book that way, it can be really powerful, you know, because it's like picking a book up off the floor or something or someone just giving it to you and saying, here, read this. And, you know, (laughs) half the time you might hate it, but half the time you might really love it. It's something you wouldn't have discovered on your own. Yeah, exactly. So with that long preface, let me say, I, (laughs) I counted up, I wrote 49 book reviews last year wow and that's a lot that's almost one a week and most of those are were really short some of them were Mm. more extended you know i had several longer pieces on bologno and that Mm. included a lot of books so my total read count of books is around 85 (laughs) Um, but a lot of those i gotta say were really short so that's my advice if you want to pad your numbers like read really short books uh (laughs) Because you can knock them out. Not Wallace, no. then. Yeah. So I'm going to give you... Uh, there's several books that I think are worth calling attention to. 
um, that were maybe my favorites of the year. And the first one is a book that I read maybe even at the end of 2014. I think it came out in early 2015. So it's on the border, okay. but it, right. it just didn't get enough attention in my mind. And hmm. I think I've mentioned it to you before. It's I Am Radar by Reef Larson. Okay. Have I mentioned this to you before? Uh, I can't remember. I, that name sounds familiar. Uh, so, he also wrote, uh, what else? The Collected Works of T.S. Spivet. Okay. So that was his previous book, and it was made into a movie in France, and I really liked it. Oh, yeah. And I will feel really bad if I'm repeating this story. I'm, like, <laughs> getting old. Dude. No, I think you're good, man. <laughs> so rip. The, the book is really quite large. It's probably 600 pages book. Yeah. And it got some good reviews, but I just don't think it made much of a splash. Yeah. And it was a really fantastic book. I wouldn't, I'm, I'm not going to try to summarize the plot, but I, I really thought that he pulled it off for his sophomore novel. A lot of times people mm. put a lot of effort into their debut novel and then their second novel, you know, is kind of dashed off. But right. the, yeah. the, the opposite is true in this case, I think. Yeah. Same with Wallace, I guess, too. Infinite Jest being his second novel. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, he was very self-conscious of that. Like, that mm-hmm. he, I think, hated Burma the System, sort of representing yeah. him yeah. later on in life. Yeah. Because uh, he wrote it when he was so young. Yeah. Uh, actually, Reef Larson's first book, I really liked, too. The T.S. Spivet book. But I think that he had trouble ending that book. And oh, yeah. Wallace also had trouble with endings. Um, but <laughs> sure. I think he, he got better with it. Yeah. <laughs> So that's the first one, Reef Larson, I Am Radar. Nice. The, sec- the second one that I would recommend is a really, um, it's a nonfiction book. And it is a book that I was given, but I really liked it. I read it in August of this year, and it's called The Rift by Alex Perry. Okay. And this book is about contemporary Africa. Hmm. And it's not, a, like I say, a book that I would have picked on my own. Right. But it's about kind of, you know, the history and context of what Africa is doing right now. And it's like really, as a whole continent or does it focus primarily on just several countries? Or So he goes uh, primarily as a continent, but he okay. goes from probably 20 countries that he spends a chapter on where he actually goes to the country you know, meets with people, does like on the ground reporting. I think he's a reporter for The Economist. Hmm. And he goes, he starts out in like South Sudan and he talks about humanitarian aid and terrorism and corruption, mm-hmm. um, Chinese influence there. It's a really fascinating book. If you want to think, well, I don't really know much about that part of the world. And, mm-hmm. you know, I want to read more than just an Economist article about contemporary african society like this is this is where it's at so that Mm. that was a surprising one to me but one i really really enjoyed cool um the third one i want to mention is an austin author although i've never met him i don't know him he just happens to live in the same town (laughs) as me yeah and his name is kirk lynn and the book is called rules for werewolves and this book is about kind of a pack of teenagers who live in abandoned suburban homes Mm -hmm. and the book is mostly told in dialogue almost all of it is in dialogue actually and at some point they do the characters do change into werewolves or they do change but it's very subtle about what kind of changes they're undergoing. I mean, they're hmm. teenagers, right? Yeah. So it's sort of left to the reader to decide, is this, is what he's describing here a metaphor or are they literally becoming werewolves <laughs> right, yeah. and disappearing? But I, I thought it was a fantastic um, idea that hmm. in the, you know, 2014, 2015, 2016, you've still got these foreclosed homes that are vacant and, these teenagers use that like housing crisis as an opportunity to, you know, explore alternate society and stuff. Mm. It was really good. That sounds awesome. And the last one I want to mention, maybe not the last one, but the last one I'm going to mention right now is a book that I read in November 
and I think it just came out. I think okay. pu- the publication date is January 12th, and it's called The Light Keepers by Abby Jenny, G-E-N-I. And again, this is not a book I would have picked up on my own, but I was fascinated by it, and it's set on the Farallon Islands. I, I think that's how you say it. I don't know. Huh. I'd never even heard of these islands. Yeah, I haven't heard of that either. They're... Uh, a, little desolate rock archipelago off the coast of San Francisco. Okay. And it's a story of a team of five biologists and an intern, and they live in one room, I mean one house. There's only one house on this whole island, and they're biologists studying the nature. And the main character is a photographer, so there's a lot in there about you know man versus nature and really hmm. how do we interact with the elements in this really extreme condition. Yeah. But it's also a kind of a one room mystery story. Oh, yeah. You know, like where you put in all of these people with different personalities and then there's a mysterious murder. Oh, so it's clue the novel. Pretty much. <laughs> Um, and and it's kind of a first person diary, so it's really it's got a, it's got a lot going on, but it reads very simply and hmm. it's very straightforward. And I just really loved that book. Cool. And I, I was blown away by it. Hmm. I wanted to read more. It was one of those books where I wanted more of it. You know. Yeah. Awesome. So I think that's my top four or five there of the year. Cool. And, um, you know, I could probably talk about a, a B list, seventy five more, another yeah. forty more, but um, <laughs> some I, w- you know, some I would not recommend. Some that were just okay. Yeah, um, those are the standouts. Yeah, th- those cool. are the standouts for me. So, awesome. What about you? What was your um, top four or five books of the year? Give me an overview of your year. Yeah, my year of uh, of reading fiction was actually pretty slow and and lackluster compared to yours. Like you read eighty five ish books, I probably read uh, like seven or eight. <laughs> um, part of that is because I'm sort of in the throes of thesis writing and master's stuff, so I'm writing a lot of criticism and all that kind of research stuff. Um, so my ability to read just novels for pleasure was a little bit uh, on the on the sidelines this year. Uh, but at the start of the year, I did finish my second read of Infinite Jest. I think in January or February, I finished that um, and then started really kind of working with my topic ideas uh, for my thesis for it and have been sorting through that ever since. Uh, so that was pretty good, that book, I guess. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then I read a, a book uh, called Wolf in White Van by John oh, Darnielle, yeah. uh, which came out at the end of 2014, but I got it last Christmas and then I read it. I think in January or something last year. Um, and John Darnielle, of course, is the lead singer of the band The Mountain Goats, which is one of my favorite bands. So uh, when it was announced that he was coming out with a novel, I was instantly uh, so excited to read it. And uh, and it, I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. Did you get a chance to check that one out? You know, I didn't. It's on my list of yeah. things I want to read personally. And yeah. I... You know, I'm a big fan of his music as well. I think yeah. he's an amazing um, writer. Oh, yeah, he's lyr- such a lyrics. good lyricist. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, clearly he's got this ability to uh, tell stories in, you know, three, four-minute chunks. So Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, another thing about him is he's a big Wallace fan. I don't yeah. know if you know this, but he, yeah, yeah. There's he a song wrote a song. Wallace. Right, yeah. He wrote a song, and his his wife is kind of is on our listserv, or was on oh, our yeah. listserv, and is you know a long time acquaintance online of mine yeah for facebook friend level friend right and cool <laughs> so i i've wanted to pick up his book and the premise of it is kind of you know unexpected for me i think it's yeah. very imaginative yeah um do you want do you want to summarize it right quick yeah so it's kind of um it's about a character who is kind of in his i think he's in his late teens uh, it's been a while since i read it but he um, he has this really severe accident, uh, something that really alters his face, and it's really unclear what that is until sort of the end of the, of the novel. Um, but while he's sort of convalescing, he creates this game called um, Trace Italian, I think it's yes. called. Yes. Uh, and it's a it's a mail letter kind of choose your own adventure game. So 
he puts out these ads in these kind of like geek magazines and people write to him. And so he sends them back sort of a story and then they're given a series of options. Like, what do you want to do next? And then they write back with their choices and then he writes back and it's kind of a back and forth thing like that. Um, so it's about this character and kind of how his life becomes quite wrapped up in this game that he's created. Uh, and it's very intense and very intricate and the way that his life intersects with the players who play it. Uh, so that's kind of the gist of it. And uh, great storytelling, really nice prose. I, I liked it a lot. It's fairly bleak, but I'd say a pretty solid novel. I forgot about the gaming part. No wonder it appeals to you. Yeah, no wonder. So I'm into board <laughs> games. I'm into stuff like that. So that was a, that was a cool element for me. Um, I also read a book early this year called God Will Cut You Down by an Australian writer called John Safran. And that's not to be confused with Jonathan Safran, Foer, the American novelist. Uh, John Safran, have you ever heard of him before, Matt? Never heard of him. Okay, so most people that I've that I've talked to about John Safran in North America haven't had a chance to hear about him, but he's an Australian TV and radio personality, and he does like super off the wall um, documentary style TV shows. So the first one that I saw, I was I lived in Australia for a bit in 2006, and he came up with this show called John Safran versus God. And what he does in that show is he just like test drives all these different world religions and kind of like rants about them and stuff like that. It's like totally so off the wall and bonkers, but so funny and educational and interesting. So that's how I first learned about him. And then he had a show called Music Jamboree before that, where he like tackles the world of pop music. Also like very bonkers and hilarious. Um, And so he came out with this novel uh, late 2014 where he spent... I think it was like six or eight months in Mississippi and investigated this uh, this murder of a old, like well-known white supremacist guy in his 60s by this like young African-American teen. I think he was around 19 or 20. She's just kind of like investigating this murder and and uh, writing a lot about the context of this town that he's in and the, and the racist history of this place. It was really fascinating. And John Safran is like, he's a very, very funny. That's kind of his shtick as he's a comedian. Um what was the title of the book again? God will cut you down. God. It's a Johnny Cash lyric. Oh, okay. Reference. It has a different title in Australia. I think it's called like Murder in Mississippi, which is way way more lackluster. Right. <laughs> but that was a cool one that I read this year. Uh, I also read Inherent Vice by Thomas Pynchon, um, and I've read some other Pynchon stuff, um, but mostly because of the anticipation of the Paul Thomas Anderson film, which I was pretty psyched for. I like P.T. Anderson quite a bit. Um, have you did you see the movie? Did you guys you know, I I haven't. I'm a big P.T. Anderson fan. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see it. I just haven't got to it yet. So yeah, I would say probably that of all of his films, it was probably my like the least engaging one for me. And I wanted to read the book before I watched it, and I did. Um, but the book is just pretty sprawling. There's so many characters. It's it doesn't feel super cohesive to me. And the movie was sort of the same way. Um, But the thing I was most excited about about the film was that Joanna Newsom was an actor in it. And she's a a musician that I really like and follow. So we'll get to her a little bit more when we get to the music section of of our chat today. Uh, And then recently, I actually just finished today, the new novel by Chris Adrian and Eli Horowitz called The New World. It's pretty short. It's about 200 pages. And um, as we've talked about before, I'm a big Chris Adrian fan. He also wrote The Children's Hospital and Gob's Grief. Uh, and as you'd expect, if you read Chris Adrian, it's like pretty sci-fi, off-the-wall uh, story. Is it set in a hospital? Is there a doctor? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's both the main characters are one's a doctor and one's a a former surgeon, I think. But now he's a chaplain, a humanist chaplain, so an atheist hospital chaplain. Oh wow! Yeah. Um, so it's it's kind of like a really interesting portrait of marriage. I would say is kind of the the major thematic thrust of the of the book. Um, and then a lot of stuff about mortality and and life after death. Um, so pretty cool. If you're a Chris Adrian fan, you'll probably like it. Uh, and so those were kind of the books that stood out to me from this year. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, wh- one other thing I want to say about books is this is the year I discovered a writer named William Gullion. Have you ever heard of him? No. I'd never. I had never heard of him either. And he is from East Texas and wrote these really acclaimed literary novels his big novel was called the house of breath his first Mm. novel and he wrote these stories and uh, he had been you know endorsed by all of these famous writers and 
I was like, I grew up in East Texas. I have a literature degree, and I've never heard of this guy. Oh yeah. Like so, there's there's still enlightenment left for everyone out there. <laughs> in your very hometown, there could be a world famous writer, and you yeah. just don't know about it. Oh, that's so, cool. And, and there was a first biography of him came out this year. That's how I oh yeah found out about him, and it very was cool. really uh, interesting biography. So. Awesome. Cool. How about uh, transitioning to something that's also narrative-based? How about films? Did you see any movies this year that stood out to you, Matt? Well, I saw the end of the tour three times. Three times, okay. Four, well, twice now, so four times, actually. Four, and okay. I saw it three times in the movie theater, and it's maybe the first time ever in my life I saw a movie three times in a movie theater. Oh, uh, right on. <laughs> the f- first time was in L.A. at a screening room. It was kind of a media screening Right. And then the second time with you in at the conference, yeah, in normal yeah. Illinois. And then the third time I saw it was here at the Austin Film Society where James Ponsolt was there. Right. And so seeing it three times on the big screen in one year was a, a new record for me. So <laughs> good I, job, Matt. I did recently see Star Wars. Oh, yeah. And, uh, the Force Awakens. I, I've seen it now once. Okay. I, really I haven't seen it yet. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And I... Did you take your kids to it? I did take my kids to it. Mm -hmm. And my younger child, who was five, he was fine. Yeah. And it was actually my older son, who's eight. He talked the whole time. (laughs) And he went to the bathroom about five times. Oh, wow. And I was like, you know, never again. You're just going (laughs) to stay home and watch it on TV. Netflix all the way. But we have a great chain of movie theaters based here in Austin called Alamo Draft House. Oh, yeah. And I would highly recommend it. They serve beer. They serve food. They serve wine. You can get a bucket of beer. It's (laughs) the way to go to see a movie. And in the summer, they have a a kids club where you can take the kids and watch kids movies for like the tickets are a dollar each. Oh, that's amazing. But you spend like $80 on the food and drink, you know? Yeah, of course. <laughs> so it's not really free, but... Um, right, yeah. So I've taken them to see a bunch of movies there, but they only they only play like, you know, old movies. They don't right. play first-run movies. But yeah. the one I was going to say, the kids... So I've seen a lot of kids' movies. Yeah, but... And the one that I really liked this year was the new Pixar film, Inside Out. Oh, I was just going to ask Out. you about that if you saw it. I, I saw it and I really liked it. And yeah, it was we, good. Yeah, we bought it and uh, I've seen it a bunch of times and it, it holds up really well, I think. Yeah. I don't have kids yet, but I can imagine that being a parent of younger kids, it's probably a pretty helpful film just in terms of like understanding, you know, emotional processes of, of people who are becoming. Oh, very much. But, yeah. And it's my pretty my younger son, you know, he's only five. And whenever he saw it, he was at the end. He started crying, huh. and and it's almost like he didn't even understand why he was crying. <laughs> and so we had to like talk it out quite yeah. a bit. Um, yeah. But huh. it, it, I think it's a actually really subtly sophisticated movie that yeah. hopefully they'll want to watch. You know, into their early preteen years. Yeah, for sure. And Pixar has a really has a really nice balance of making movies that are technically geared towards kids, but then also including these kind of like, not necessarily like high literary references, but like definitely some intellectual insider uh, kind of humor that the, the kids, they laugh at it, but they don't understand it. Um, but so it's, they do a nice job of balancing. Like here's a picture that's for kids, but it's also for adults. Oh yeah, I mean, and I think you could make an argument that that film is a Buddhist film, and uh, it's <laughs> yeah, about sure. it's about suffering, and it's about yeah. you know you can't really have joy without sadness. Yeah, and mm-hmm. the I thought it was really profound, like for you know a movie for elementary school kids. Yeah, absolutely. So, what about you? You've probably seen more films than I have. Yeah, I've probably seen a few more non kids movies than you this year. Um, some ones that stood out to me, I saw. Spotlight recently, which is that film about the Boston journalists who sort of uncovered um, yeah. some stuff with the Catholic Church. That was a pretty strong film. Uh, saw The Big Short recently as well, the movie about the 2008 housing market collapse. And I think that was one of the one of the better movies that I saw this year. Um, I don't feel like 2015 was 
one of the better years for film in like the last decade. But The Big Short stood out to me as like a pretty pretty fun, interesting, uh, somewhat like meta clever film as well. They did this this kind of thing in it where whenever they were about to explain some kind of bizarre, confusing economic concept, they would bring in the celebrity to explain it in some weird situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of took you out of it for a minute and then put you back in. And it was kind of like self-aware and, and in that sense, I thought kind of interesting. Um, Ex Machina was another film that I saw this year that was, that was pretty good. Uh, sort of sci-fi thriller, I guess you'd say, about artificial intelligence. Same production company as the end of the tour. Oh, yeah. A24. Right. Yeah, cool. Um, and then the HBO documentary Going Clear, the Scientology expose. I wanted see to that? see that. I wanted yeah. to see that. It's the, crazy. It's really good. The author of the book, uh, Lawrence Wright, he also lives here in Austin. Oh, yeah? Wow, you guys you guys got it all down there. Yeah, we have a pretty good literary scene. You got <laughs> you got beer at the movies. <laughs> right. You got the Red Center. <laughs> yeah. In fact, the what I was going to say about Star Wars, J.J. Abrams, yeah. he, in 2013, co-wrote a book with Doug Dorst, who lives in Austin. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if you've read that book. It's called S. No. But that's a fantastic book. Like You'll have to read that, and then we can talk about it, Dave. Cool. It's, it's really cool. Just like the letter S? S period, yeah. S period. Huh. Cool. And, and it's one of those books where like a bunch of crap comes in it, like all folded up and everything. Oh, I'll yeah. To, I'll have to talk about it. But... I like crap folded up. Yeah, I, you would like this then. <laughs> awesome. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the last noteworthy movie I saw this year was Love and Mercy, the film about Brian Wilson from Beach Boys. Oh, yeah, that looked good. It was good. I think it technically came out in 2014, but I don't think it was released here, uh, at least in my city, until this year. Um, And that was kind of a cool movie. Like, Paul Dano plays a young Brian Wilson, and then John Cusack plays sort of the contemporary older one. Um, It was was cool. It was really kind of experimental and bizarre and tripped out druggy, as you'd kind of expect um, for the early period of the Beach Boys, sort of going into Pet Sounds. Um, it was good. I liked it a lot. I went through a big Brian Wilson phase, uh, oh, yeah? especially where I was obsessed with Pet Sounds. Yeah, and, and I listened to it just constantly. So, <laughs> I, you know, I, I listen to Smile and Pet Sounds now, but yeah, it just reminds me too much of that phase of my life where oh, yeah. that was like all I listened to. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. There's a rad line in the movie where. One of the other band members is talking to Brian Wilson about some of the lyrics that he's writing and how weird they are. And what's the specific line? Um, it'll it'll probably come to me later. But he like quotes one of the lines from from the songs on that album, and he's just like, "WTF?" You know, like, "What are you What are you doing here?" <laughs> oh yeah, "Sunny Down Snuff." I'm all right. That's the line. It's like, what? The, what is that? Like, that makes no sense. Let's go back high. to like doing like surfing songs, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, you have to be high to write that. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so that's uh, that's film. What about TV shows, man? Any any good shows? You've you've talked about uh, before that you don't really watch a lot of TV. Right. I don't have cable. I don't really yeah. watch the TV except to put in DVDs occasionally for the kids. But mm-hmm. the. Um, I do have a Netflix account, and so occasionally I will get invested in a TV series there, and yeah. I'm in the midst of watching Making a Murderer, which I think is fascinating. Oh, yeah. I haven't uh, started that yet. I highly recommend to, it. Cool. Highly, highly recommend it. Yeah. Did you listen to Serial? Serial podcast? Yes, yes. Yeah. I loved Serial, and yeah. I think this might even be better. Yeah, yeah. I've heard it's comparable, and, and if you like Serial, you'll love this, too. I think that the... Um, the second season of Serial 2, I thought, you know, how could they live up to it? Are they going to find another <laughs> yeah. case? And, and I actually really like the Bo Bergdahl story that yeah. they're doing. For, I'm finding it really compelling, too. Uh, I, You know, I didn't know much about that case when it came out. You just kind of get the headlines, and it's right. kind, of a, kind of a lesson that you have to dig deeper to really understand things, you know. Mm-hmm. But no, I so I would recommend anything that was on Netflix, like as a TV <laughs> show, I loved uh, all of Anthony Bourdain's shows. I don't know if you watch him. Um, He's a TV chef guy, but he does more like travel stuff. So he had a show on a travel channel called The Layover, and he he had a show on uh, CNN. I I just really like him as a person, and I like Hmm. 
to see him, you know, travel and stuff. So like, yeah. oh, he's going to, you know, Hong Kong. Or, yeah. He used to have a show called No Reservations, and I think the one on Netflix is Parts Unknown. Hmm. I, I really like that show. Cool. And uh, I watched Orange is the New Black. I don't know if you watched yeah. the, that yeah, season that came out last year. I, yeah. like, I really liked that show. Yeah. What, what about you? What do you watch like regularly? Um, so for comedies, the my favorite show, it's a show called Nathan for You. And the premise of the show is this guy, Nathan, he's a Canadian uh, actor. You probably recognize him. He's kind of in with like Seth Rogen and those guys a little bit. He's a business school graduate who helps struggling businesses with kind of like off the wall business ideas so it's a documentary style comedy it's on uh, comedy central but typically the people who are on the show don't know that it's comedy and they just think this guy is like kind of weird and he plays like a really awkward version of himself he seems like he's like on the spectrum a bit and he can't relate to people and he he it's basically he just trolls people with these like insane ideas Um, but a lot of people for whatever reason go along with them and I think it's like maybe the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, I'm going to start watching this. I've got to watch this. Now. It's so, it's so good. Um, but I think it does have a polarizing effect on its audience. So Rachel, my wife, for example, she, she thinks it's sort of funny, but she just finds it so cringy mm. that she just can't even, she has to just like leave the room <laughs> when I'm watching it because it's so embarrassing uh, for him. And also for the people that are on the show that don't really get that it's a joke. Uh, my sister also like just cannot handle that style of comedy so it's for it's for a specific audience um but man it is just like i've just literally just cried laughing several times from this show so that's nathan for you um another show i got into this year cartoon called rick and morty if you heard of that it's from uh dan Harmon, the guy who did community is behind it uh it's a cartoon about like this like science it's like a sci-fi cartoon about like a grandpa and his like kind of nerdy grandson and they go on all these adventures to other worlds and stuff super funny super wacky just totally bonkers um i also watched the aziz ansari master of none show on netflix did you see that no i haven't seen it it got good reviews i saw it got really good reviews but I haven't yeah seen it. i'm a big aziz fan so that was great um and then also uh i think it's eric from tim and eric is on that show the the tall guy Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not like a, I'm, I haven't watched a lot of Tim and Eric, but I have some friends who are obsessed with them. And I know Robin O'Neill is obsessed with them. And all of their Instagram stuff always hashtags David Foster Wallace and Infinite Jest. And I don't know quite why, but I would love to find out. I think maybe they're just like really big fans, but I need to track that down a bit more. They just do like absurd humor type stuff. Too. Oh, yeah. Like, it's like I mean, very, very bonkers. Yeah. Off the wall stuff. But I guess they must be way into Wallace. <laughs> or they think it's funny to, you know. <laughs> yeah, to leak. cite this kind of serious author yeah. in very non-serious ways or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so who knows? Maybe someone can illuminate that for us. <laughs> yeah, write in if you know why they use Tim and Eric like David Foster Wallace. That would be great. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, and then Parks and Recreation is a show that I've been watching for a long time, wrapped up this year. Also, uh, one of the... One of the episodes in, I think maybe like season three or four, like had tons of Infinite Jest references. Did you ever hear about that? Yeah, I saw that yeah. episode. That, yeah. that, was, that was fantastic. My, yeah, totally. uh, Michael Schur. Yeah, and he has the rights to Infinite Jest, correct? Right, correct. Yeah. Yeah. He's also, he plays um, the cousin of um, Dwight on The Office. That's yeah. Michael Schur. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which crazy. when I first heard that, I was, I was like, that guy owns Infinite Jest, right? So that's awesome. It's perfect. Yeah, yeah so good. Uh, Louis another show that I really like this year. Louis C.K.'s comedy. Everyone loved that. Everyone's like, oh, you would love Louis. You would love it. My wife loves it. Everyone's like, yeah, oh, yeah. That, that's my, you know, I'm in the demographic for it. Yeah, I, for sure. I just, I just can't like him, man. <laughs> I just don't, I, something about him. I'm just like, yeah, I get it. But I just, I'm not laughing. Like, what's oh, yeah. wrong? Huh, I don't know, man. That's something about him. It just doesn't work on me. Okay. Interesting. That's cool. So, I, I mean, I'm, I should like him, right? Like, yeah yeah he talks about parenting and he talks about like new york and stuff and i'm like man it sounds like i would be into it but nope yeah and like the tedium and absurdity of life is kind of his shtick as well he's good at it like i can respect him on like a technical level and say like man he's good at that yeah i just don't like find him hilarious (laughs) yeah well that's cool 
Um, I watched a few dramas this year as well. Um, some good ones were The Leftovers, which is this crazy show on HBO that's like kind of like a partial rapture happens yes. where like all these people just disappear and set in Texas. Um, some of it, anyways. So the, and, lef- the Leftovers, my older brother, John Booker, is yeah. a blogger on a HBO website oh, cool. called Watching the Leftovers. Nice. So if you want to hear my brother talk about that show, there's a lot of podcasts of him uh, talking about The Leftovers. <laughs> awesome. On... I will check that out. It's a crazy show. It's really good. I also watched a show called The Affair in the last year, which is um, which also has an episode where there's like an extended conversation about Infinite Jest between two characters. I think I mentioned that on like episode one of this podcast. Is that the McNulty? Uh, McNulty. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah um mcnulty from the wire right um plays the main character i'm blanking on it on the actor's name for some reason right now dominic something yeah that's right <laughs> can't remember the other half <laughs> uh, it's dominic west dominic dominic west. west yeah that's right uh it's so funny having the internet right in front of you and just choosing not to use it that's nah, fine <laughs> and then uh fargo season two just wrapped that up recently that was great and uh the Americans is another good show I'd recommend about Soviet spies in the 1980s living in Washington, D.C. So those are some some shows that stood out to me this year. How about music, Matt? We'll just kind of go through like the, the survey of pop culture. So my music thing will be pretty brief because I'm not a big music discoverer or like a great tastemaker in, <laughs> in the music arena. But I will say one thing I look forward to every year in Austin is the South by Southwest Festival. Oh, yeah. And, and just Never having been. that in our backyard is fantastic for discovering new music and seeing bands that you like for free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's tons and tons of free shows around town. A lot of shows have free beer. They are all <laughs> just wow. during the day, and you can just stand in one place a lot of times and just see yeah. world-class music for free. It's amazing. That's solid. Um, so well, my favorite band, I would say, the past year, the one I listened to the most was a band called Krill. And its huh. front man is a guy named Jonah Furman. Mm-hmm. And Jonah is a friend of mine, so yeah. I like his band. But Jonah, <laughs> I, I met him through our mutual love of David Foster Wallace. Oh, nice. And he came down to the Ransom Center to do some research in, this is 2011, mm-hmm. I think. And he he and I did some research together there for DT Max before oh, yeah. the, the biography came out in 2012. You and, did research for that biography, Matt? Oh, yeah. Like oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I cool. did like three years of work on that book. Whoa. And um, maybe two and a half. And if, I'm thanked in there, but like I should have been higher Not up. Not enough. <laughs> no offense. but <laughs> uh, That's funny. So Jonah, he when he was down here, he was like, didn't know what he was going to do after he graduated from Johns Hopkins and writing this big thesis on Wallace. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I'm thinking about starting a band. And I was like, man, good luck with that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And sure enough, he started a band and they were incredible. And they sound a lot like the Pixies, I think. They get compared to the Pixies a lot. But he has a really unique voice and he has a really great ability to craft uh, strange but powerful songs. And Hmm. I really liked him. So. I had missed a couple of opportunities to see them in Austin, but then they came at South by Southwest and a band, the band right before them, this back of this bar was called Diarrhea Planet. And <laughs> I've heard of that band. I think they had like, so gross. they had like seven guitarists on stage and it was like the loudest thing I ever heard. I mean, oh, uh, just standing there, like my chest was hurting. Like yeah. I, f- I felt like I was 105 years old. Their and, organs were quaking. I mean, the, these guys, their thing is just being the loudest band as possible. Right. It's just face melting. I was unbelievable. But then <laughs> Jonah's band and Krill came on. And like I say, they Krill is a, already broken up. And so I'm, okay. sa- I'm sad about that. And I it's hope like a Jonah, one album? I think they have two or three, uh, but um, mm-hmm. they have an EP. Anyways, they're fantastic. And I still listen to them a lot. And... Mm-hmm. 
I I also really like the band. I saw they're called the Twilight Sad, which oh, yeah. my friend Brian recommended that we go see. And he, it's like two Scottish guys just like really slowly lamenting life. <laughs> so it's sad bastard music. Absolutely. And it was yeah. perfect. It was perfect for me. So cool. <laughs> I, I, that's that's about it for me. But yeah, if you haven't checked out Krill, check out uh, their their music. I'll look into them for sure. How about cool. you? What, what did you discover? Anything new? Yeah. So, uh, so I do. I've done a thing every year since 2009, where at the end of the year I post my top 10 albums and then like 10 honorable mention albums on Facebook for my friends, and then it's usually a fairly lively discussion that happens after that. Um, so I posted uh, my top 10 this year as well, and uh, my top. I'll say my top five albums. How about for the sake of time? All right. Um, my favorite album this year was Sufjan Stevens, Carrie and Lowell. You heard that? Uh, I, I'm a f- familiar with Sufjan Stevens, but I don't. I yeah. haven't heard that one. Yeah, uh, I've I've heard Sufjan Stevens get compared to Wallace in some senses, in just like like the Dave Eggers intro to Infinite Jest. Um, he makes the comparison between them in, in the sense that they're like total maximalists. Um, Sufjan said he was going to do an album for all 50 U.S. states at one point, and he did Illinois, and he did Michigan, but then hasn't put out another one since. So we can consider this album this year maybe like a, a detour from that. Uh, we'll see if he gets back on, on that path, but I kind of doubt it. <laughs> uh, we saw him play in Vancouver uh, in the spring, and the show was amazing. It was uh, really transcendent and beautiful. Um, so that was a great album. Kurt Vile is another album that stood out to me this year. A uh, guy from Philadelphia. He's kind of got like a stoner folk rock vibe. Um, there's a song on his new album called Pretty Pimpin'. That's just so good. You got to check it out. Uh, Wilco had an album called Star Wars this year, probably in anticipation of of the new movie. Uh, maybe that's a, a good I love marketing that. play. You know? <laughs> hey, you and I are correct. I loved that album. Yeah, it's it's real good, and the cover's so funny. It's just like a weird painting of a cat and like a flower vase, yeah. and then it just says Star Wars on the cover. So bizarre. Uh, that's a good album. Uh, and then I mentioned Joanna Newsom earlier. Uh, she's a harpist. And she's actually married to um, uh, the comedian and SNL actor who is now on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is also a great show that I forgot to mention, Andy Samberg. All right. And uh, when I first heard about them like dating or being engaged, my mind exploded because she's like this really serious, like evocative musician, this harp player. And he's just like the most bonkers, wacky guy ever. Um, so like, that's probably the coolest couple in Hollywood, I think. And then, uh, another favorite album this year for me was, uh, Deer Hunter, an album called Fading Frontier. Always good Deer Hunter. You guys keep putting out the hits. So those were some good albums that stood out to me this year and I've got lots more, but don't want to go on too long with that. Give us a couple more, a couple more. A couple more. Okay. Um, also my top 10, this is an album that I heard about like literally in the last week of this year. Um, Josh Royland made a post on Twitter, a mutual friend of ours, Wallace guy, uh, with this band called Car Seat Headrest, hmm. an album called Teens of Style. And I checked it out because he had some other albums on there that I had in my top 10. So I was like, oh, okay, we got similar sensibilities. And this album is just awesome. And it grabbed me right away. And I've listened to it probably like 20, 30 times since then. Um, so that was an unexpected surprise right at the end of the year. Uh, there's also a guy called Daniel Romano. He's a Canadian. He's from Ontario. Um, and he used to be in like this this rock band called Attack in Black. And then he started putting out these solo albums that are like straight up like old school country music. And the album cover of him just like in like a cowboy hat, and like old timey, like cowboy wear, like bolo tie and stuff like that. And it's like, it's like, I don't know how to describe it other than it's like, um, it's like Hank Williams style country and it's so good so he came out with an album this year called if i've only one time asking and that was a that was a highlight for me so if you like old country check out him uh and then father john misty put out an album called i love you honey bear this year which was pretty solid did you ever see him on uh he's he's done a lot of really funny performances on late night talk shows i haven't seen him Have you come across any of those no okay check out father john misty on david letterman Dave Letterman's mind is just like is blown and he asked to go on tour with them and stuff after. It's great. <laughs> um, yeah. So those are a few other, few other albums that I had as well. Maybe we could, uh, we could make like an iTunes playlist of 
our favorite songs of the year and like put a link to it in this episode or something like that. And then people can check them out if they want to. Yeah, we got to put a picture of that guy, Dan Romano. Yeah. We, we got a link to that picture at least. That guy, yeah, yeah. That's pretty yeah. intense, his outfit there. Yeah, you're looking it up right now. Yeah, Dan Romano. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah, his second album, the, the cover. Um, wow. So, something about crying, I think is the album title. Yeah, it's funny. He he played in my town a couple of years ago, and it was like, you wouldn't expect it to have been like an awesome rock concert, but it was so heavy and loud and bassy, but it was country, it like says, old, old come, country. Come cry with me. That's come cry with me. Yeah. So that was the tour for that album, and it was awesome. Like, the show was so rad, uh, and everyone in the audience, it was a really small show, like less than 100 people. It was real good. So we got, we did some books we did movies we did shows we did music any uh, anything else matt like uh video games board games podcasts that stood out to you this year as we sort of wind down here no not really i i listen to a, a fair number of podcasts but a lot of them if you're a regular podcast listener you'd probably know them <laughs> I, so like serial for example yeah serial yeah. like mark Marin, you know radio yeah, yeah. it's the usual suspects and right. i used to listen to a lot more but i have tried i've just cut back because i've had to read so much right the um board game i really want i think you and i i mentioned this to you earlier in the year is this world war ii strategy game and so i've it's called the rise and fall of the third reich oh yeah you mentioned that to me and i've i've still had a, a couple of leads on it on a good copy of it but it's fairly hard to find a complete set of one that's not you know, two hundred dollars. Right. Is so, it pretty? Is it from the seventies or eighties or something like that? Yeah, I think it's from the nineteen eighties, early nineteen eighties. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's like a bookshelf game, but it folds out into like a huge tabletop. Like probably mm-hmm. takes up a, a whole good sized table. Right. Um, so I'm I'm not much of a rise and decline of the Third Reich. I'm sorry. Oh yeah. Cool. And it is on Board Game Geek if you look yeah. it up, but. Uh, why don't you give us, I don't know if you look at the morning news, that site, the morning news and Matthew Baldwin who ran infinite summer. He always does a top 10 like games of the year. Oh yeah. I, there. I did have that yeah. site on my radar for quite a while and I would check it for board game stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that kind Matthew of Baldwin. Yeah. Baldwin. Oh, cool. He's a big um, board gamer. Right. Yeah. Did he, was he one of the bloggers for the infinite summer? Oh yeah. I mean, he's a yeah. creator. I mean, he was, he's the founder right. of it. Yeah, I actually just came across that the other day, and then I saw a link to his board game blog, and I checked it out. I was like, "Oh, this is awesome!" Um, yeah, so I'm also a big I'm a big board gamer. But this year, something weird happened to me with board games, where uh, I got into this game. Uh, it's a two player card game, like a cyberpunk theme, called Android Netrunner, and I got into it because there's this this amazing website out of the UK called Shut Up and Sit Down. And they do like the funniest board game review videos and and uh, written posts. Um, if you have any inclination to check out board games, go to Shut Up and Sit Down. These guys are the best. Uh, and one of the guys from that would talk about this game called Netrunner like every podcast episode. And I was like, oh, man, it's only two players. It sounds really expensive because it's like this game that releases packs like every month. It sounds like a bit too rich for my blood. But then I found a friend who, who had it and I played a game and I went out and bought it and then promptly got like everything ever for it in the span of two months and it just totally took over my life and now i play in like tournaments and put on tournaments for it. it's like my wife is just like in total disbelief that this that this has happened she's just in utter like agony and chagrin <laughs> well, are you are you ranked nationally dave in this well, game and netrunner i well i suppose i am because i went to the canadian nationals uh and there's like huge global uh international like uh tournament play for this game wow uh, so i went to the canadian nationals which this year was in vancouver and it was in august and i think i like texted you when i was driving down yeah. there's like dude i'm going to the netrunner nationals right now like how nerdy is that <laughs> um i did not do super well but i think i i think i got like 31st or something like that on the day Wow. Which sounds pretty good, but I think there's only like 37 players. Oh, wow. <laughs> it still sounds good to me if you it's say still, you're 31st I'm, in the nation. Yeah, yeah. So I'll take that for what it's worth. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, if, you, if you've heard of Netrunner, if you thought about checking it out, I can't recommend it highly enough. It will take over your life. So like there's that caveat if you let it. 
but it is so compelling. I've hardly played anything else since I started getting into this game, which is like kind of a bummer because I have a pretty solid board game collection, but they're just kind of languishing <laughs> in the closet as I go out to play Netrunner all the time. Well, that, that, that's what you want, though, right? A great game. I mean, yeah, so that was the gaming highlight of 2015 for me. So any last things that made you happy in 2015, Matt? Well, we did go to the David Foster Wallace conference. Yeah, that was good. The movie came out. Uh, That was a big deal. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did get to go to L.A. and San Francisco in 2015. And I had generally a great all-around year of, you know, staying healthy and energized enough to read and write a lot, which is Mm -hmm. really just what I'm looking forward to doing in 2016 is... Yeah. It's trying to knock out a lot more books, to do a lot more writing in a lot more different places. And mm-hmm. and you and I, we've started a podcast last year. So now we did. we've got that. plans for like, we've got a lot of a lot of big plans on the horizon, I think, for 2016 for this podcast. Yeah, that was a, that was a definite highlight for sure. And I'm also psyched for going forward into this 2016 podcast season i think it's going to be a lot of fun and i again like you said at the beginning of the show i want to thank everyone who has listened we've had really just nothing but positive response and oh yeah and people who have listened in and we were very grateful that you download the show or listen on your phone it's very rewarding to hear feedback and we had you and i we had talked about uh, doing a show of taking questions Yes, and that Q and A Q&A episode. Yeah, like a Q and A, so that if our listeners had questions about David Foster Wallace or Infinite Jest or literature or anything else we've talked about on the show, they Net could Netrunner or um, <laughs> uh, Wilco. I don't know Wilco. Yeah. But if they want topics, if you want to write into us, Dave, tell us how they can reach us on Twitter and email and. I guess those are the two main ways. Yeah. So on Twitter, you can find us. Our handle is Concavity Show. We're also on Instagram with the same handle. Uh, we also have an email address, concavityshow at gmail.com. So if you have any questions about any of that stuff Matt mentioned, please find us there and drop us a line. Uh, what we're going to do is over the next few weeks or so, we're going to sort of pool together these questions and uh, and we'll spend an episode coming up in the near future just answering questions from the audience, from, from our listeners. So if you haven't got anything on your mind, please reach us at one of those places. We'll address as many as we can on that upcoming episode. So we look forward to, to doing that. Maybe we can get a guest on for that one too, someone who knows their Wallace and uh, can bring some cool different insights as well. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Thank you, everybody, so much for listening in 2015. We look forward to a great year with you here in 2016. As usual, we want to thank Robin O'Neill for her art for our podcast, Icon, as well as the band Parquet Courts for their song, Instant Disassembly, which is our intro and outro music. And as usual, thank you for listening. Catch me now as I say.